right, Pete Giuliano. It is Saturday, the 2nd of November, 2019. Solder Smoke is shockingly late. And that, what number is this, Pete? 214. Crank it in, Ralph. Crank it in. Number 214. Hit the, hit the counter there, there, Ralph. All right. I'm sorry for the delay. All kinds of things going on. But we've got a lot of good, interesting stuff to cover. Anyway, uh, great, great stuff. Good, good to be back here, Pete. I think we should start with some travelogue. I have something to report. The visit of Farhan. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. <laughs> it's stunned silence. It's weird because I can't see you on the screen now. So yeah. <laughs> well. You scared me there for a second. Hey, hey by the uh, way. All right. Sorry for that. 50 years now, people say, what are those guys doing? What were they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, we had a, a, it's it's been been busy, it's been great. We had a a fantastic visit from Farhan, VU2 ESE. I I was sitting here and all of a sudden I got a text message from Farhan saying that he was going to come to Northern Virginia, and he was coming over specifically for the 50th anniversary symposium of AMSAT. You know, you know, he's been mm-hmm. uh, been deeply involved in putting Indian amateur radio satellites into space. And wow, I was I was really thrilled because the AMSAT thing was just maybe five miles down the road in Arlington, Virginia. So radio I said, definitely. Radio gods have spoken. The radio, radio gods, have, gods spoken. have spoken. They put him right there, and then a, and a few days later. Farhan, who is, I must say, an amazing traveler. I mean, he acted like this trip from India was just sort of around the block. And uh, he jumps on the plane. The next thing I know, I'm getting texts from him in in Arlington. I went down there and sat in on a bit on uh, on a couple sessions of the AMSAT meeting. Man, these guys are really impressive, amazing, deeply into highly technical stuff. It was it was way over my head, but I got to meet Bob Bruniga, WB4APR. He is a legendary guy in the satellite game and in, in ham radio digital stuff all around. He He's out at the Naval Academy, and he's responsible for these PC sats in which the uh, the midshipman put satellites into space. He, he and Farhan are uh we're we're deeply into satellite collaboration there and i i was able to stand by and just just watch the whole thing it was great but then the best part for me was that farhan came back to the shack so we had a second visit of farhan in the shack and it was just just really a lot of fun for the two of us to sit around here and talk ham radio and he brought me some he gave me a step attenuator and a two-tone test generator brought it all the way from india really really amazing stuff and we just sat around i got my uh my phasing receiver to finally work and do the single signal thing like it was supposed to do. And so that was, that was good. He the last time he was here, it, it just, it just sort of died on me before he, before the demonstration. And it died in the most embarrassing way. It turned itself from a single signal receiver into a uh, double sideband receiver without the opposite sideband rejection, which destroys the whole point. But I got it working and uh, we just had, we had a great time. We sat around, we talked ham radio, we, uh, we, I showed him the, um, the ET2 that I'll talk about a little bit later, and he has told me that he is thinking about um, taking up the two, as he put it, the two tranny challenge, the uh, two transistor transceiver challenge. So we'll, we'll be looking forward to that from, from Farhan. And, uh, he's a busy guy. He's got a, lot of, he's got a lot of irons in the fire. So we, we hope that the soldering iron will be, be one of them. Hey, but Pete, I got to tell you about a QSO that I heard on 20 meters. Are you ready for this? Go, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. So, so, so I'm sitting there, and I've got the um, – I'm, I'm tuning around with my Bidex 20, 
It was a few days ago. Band conditions were kind of rough. But I hear this signal, and I, I, I could just barely copy him. And then I hear him saying that he's in Southern California, and then kind of QSB phases out a little bit, then comes back, and he starts talking about when he was uh, on Midway Island when he was in the Navy. And I said, wow, I, he's in Southern California. He was on Midway, too. I got to let Pete know about this. So I put on the headphones, and I crank up the volume, and I'm sitting there ready to copy the call. And I'm listening, I'm listening. There's a couple other exchanges back and forth. The signal's kind of fading in and out. But then, finally, I hear the call. N6QW. <laughs> you never know who's listening. You oh, man, know. you really you don't. Never know. <laughs> I gave you a call afterwards, but you, but you couldn't hear me. It was it was too marginal. But And I think, I don't know what antenna you are. Were you, were you on the beam? Yes, and I was running 600 watts. Oh yeah. Well, I was I was on the doublet running a hundred watts, so that explains it. But um, hey, it was it was good to hear from you. And I think at that point it was doubly good to hear from you because I was worried about your uh, your surviving the, uh, the the fires of California. So um, how is it, Pete? How are you guys doing? Well, I got to tell you, um, California's on fire. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's it's really curious because at uh, one time, well, when they had the Santa Rosa fire uh, two years ago, I had mentioned that I lived in Santa Rosa. Actually, I lived in this town just about two miles north called uh, Windsor. And there's a town a little bit beyond that called Healdsburg. Uh, this past week, both towns totally were evacuated. Uh, 50,000 people, <laughs> 50,000 people were moved. And, and you know, if you're a wine drinker and you like the North Coast wines, a lot of those, a lot of those crops are gone. And, and they're right they're right in the middle of the crush and uh, uh, there was a winery that's been in operation since 1890 it's a pile of rubble right now so I mean it's pretty significant and in Southern California uh, about two weeks ago we had a fire uh, less than a less than a mile from my house south of us where it had burned a year ago and uh, so it was kind of good because they got that out pretty quick but anything that was combustible is gone now so that's good news but the Regan Library, you probably saw that on television, uh, is about 12 miles from me, about 12 miles to the northeast. And uh, a lot of farmland around there. There's, believe it or not, a lot of vineyards. And uh, th that fire came right up to the front door. And uh, just this morning, they're reporting another fire that's about 10 miles from me uh, to, to the north, north, northwest. And uh, this stuff is really exceptionally dry. And um, there were some really uh, gut-wrenching uh, pictures on, on, on TV. Uh, the other afternoon, this fire kind of just broke out at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and engulfed these areas. And these people have horses. <clears throat> and, and they were trying to get the horses out. And they had this one. And it, this is really amazing. This one horse, uh, they, they kind of got him herded. And then he broke away. And they wondered what he was doing. He was going right back in the fire. Next thing you know. You see a mare and her foal must have been his wife and his his you know his uh, his horse, and he guided them out <laughs> right right before your eyes on TV, and you just think about those those poor animals you know they they you know they're, they're instinctively they know what happens with fire but but it's just there's there's so much more in structures uh, and I don't believe there's been there's only been one or two deaths so far which is kind of amazing given the uh, the extent and magnitude. The real serious issue this past Wednesday was smoke in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, and it was so 
it, it took you over. It, 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 it caused your throat to, you, like you had a sore throat, and oh, you, you couldn't be outdoors. Uh, you had to stay in the house because the, the, the smoke was just so noxious. And matter of fact, we had to go down to Malibu. The wife had a medical appointment, and it was so <laughs> so good to go to Malibu because there was no fire down in that area, and and the air was clear, and and it was really noticeable. I mean, it really just got to you. you could you could feel that that was not good to breathe that stuff. So, oh, man. Uh, and it's not over yet. Um, hopefully, we'll see a little bit of rain here, maybe in in a week or two, because typically the rain is November, December, January, and February. So maybe we'll get some some respite. But but the the costs are dramatic. The the costs uh, not only in terms of personal loss, but in co- cost to industries. Uh, you know, this is an agricultural area, and, and you, the crops are burnt. So uh, oh man, yeah, that's, terrible it's stuff. Terrible. Yeah, terrible. But Pete, every there dark is no cloud- global warming. By the way, there is no global warming. <laughs> there is absolutely that's bunk. <laughs> well, you know, every dark cloud has a silver lining. No pun intended. But the silver lining is that you get to spend. You, you should be spending more time in the shack just to stay out of the uh, out of the smoke. <laughs> so you have. I mean, I, I looked before we started this about. You know, I always go back and review your blog, and then I look at at, at the solder smoke blog and see what you know what what we should talk about. You have been melting prodigious amounts of solder in the midst of this uh, California apocalypse out there. And just over since the last podcast, I I came up with at least like a dozen different projects that that you were going at with great energy. I think it can all be summed up with the phrase, I think it will be the immortal phrase that you have, have given us, Pete. When you know stuff, you can do stuff. Right. Yes. That, that, that you should you should have that like in a in, in a kind of a kind of an arc over the entrance to your your workshop there when you know stuff you can do stuff so tell us what you've been doing well first of all there's a little there's a little hidden meaning behind that and i guess uh um i sort of rail a little bit if you saw one of the uh, one of the blogs I, I wrote a letter to uh k3lr who's the ceo of dx engineering and uh, behind this is uh, they, they published a catalog that says uh, Elmer's to everybody. And uh, so I read about what it was. And, uh, you know, they, were, they talk about infinite possibilities. Well, the infinite possibilities is the infinite number of menus they have on these appliance boxes. I mean, <laughs> the, the, Elmering, the Elmering was the, how, to tell you, how to teach you to pick the best antenna or how to, how to get the most for your dollar and buying the, the, the biggest radio. There was absolutely nothing about trying to really self-construct stuff or to advance the hobby. And um, I cite the case of uh, uh, the IARU said, there's only two reasons for hands that's contests and operating. And uh, I used the example of uh, K5SDR. I said, if uh, Gerald Youngblood was only interested in contests and operating, those guys wouldn't have all those fancy SDR radios that they have today. And what's more importantly is uh, that, that, his work, uh, along with the contract he got with uh, Raytheon, will form the backbone of the next generation of communication systems for the U.S. Air Force. So, yeah, he, he was doing contests and operating, and, uh, you know, look what that got him. Well, he was doing more than that, and and I cite other people, and you think about Hans and Farhan doing stuff in their, their garages. Uh, sure, they may operate contests, and uh, they may uh, operate, but behind that is some really cool rigs and amazing radios because people are fostering uh, home construction 
and uh, really encouraging experimentation. So people who know stuff can do stuff. <laughs> and that's what that's all about. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it's uh, we, there's, there's so much so much there. I mean, it's such a it's almost a cultural divide um, that we've been we've been talking about a lot. But I, I saw your letter. And I'm with you 100 percent, of course. And of course, the other one, I thought you were going to bring up crap. <laughs> I have it here. It's a second list. You, another another acronym yes. that, that Pete has come up, and it's 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 completely self deprecating. So tell us what the 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 crap series of rigs that you've produced yes, are. It's Pete. cool radios and projects. Crap. Cool. There you go. <laughs> cool radios and projects related to uh, single board rigs. I understand. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The, the idea is is that uh, you know if you know stuff, you can do stuff, and um, so. But, you know, there's uh, some other uh, issues behind uh, this uh, flurry of activity. Some of these things uh, needed parts, and uh, some of them uh, were I had to wait to get some parts. In some cases, I ordered parts, and it took they were on the slow boat from China. So uh, even though you, you seems like a lot of things are happening, it's just suddenly all these parts show up, <laughs> and you, you go ahead and start, you know, putting together and building things. So... Uh, but we've, we've had some fun with some boat anchors. Um, uh, 20 meters was uh, quite good here about a week or so ago with the contest. Uh, so I dug out my Swan 120. And put I love that, it. I love it. Put that on 20. Did you notice how stable that 9 megahertz analog VFO was? Of course I did. <laughs> it, it was far better than any of that digital stuff. Uh, that. But anyway, it's kind of interesting to to be able, and I've made some recordings and YouTube videos, and uh, a lot of the stuff that I uh, have been v making videos of are the vintage sideband nets, and I then I send uh, send copies of the videos. Some of those are unlisted, but some of them aren't listed on YouTube, so the guys can hear what they sound like, <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because I'm saying. You know, this radio that I'm listening on is the same vintage of radios they're using. And I, and I think the one I got, I'm just fortunate, is uh, far far better in terms of stability and how signal quality and how, how the, how, how the uh, not only the transmitted signal, but the received signal as well. It's amazing. Good stuff. But one thing I wanted to say, just going back for a second to the crap series of rigs, um, I noticed that, that in one of them you were using the um, a... Um, 16 by 2 display, which I realize is a, a, a reach back in technology for you. But also, it, the, the, the letters that you had there were blue. So I, I coined the, 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 the poetic title for all this, 16 by 2 in Giuliano Blue. Yeah, yeah, cool. It kind of sings, doesn't it? But anyway, <clears throat> yes. we, I, I digressed. I love, I love you going back to the Swan 120. You know, I still have parts from the Swan 240 floating around here in the shack and, and bits and pieces of this rig have found its way into various homebrew projects so those old swans and that swan 120 i watched the, the youtube video it, it was really really nice so that was, that was that was that was a beautiful piece of work i'm glad you got that thing back well on the there's, air. there's an interesting story about that um you there are swan 120s then there's swan 120s the back back plate uh of the radio states it's made in benson arizona the original swan factory was in uh, in uh, herb johnson's garage in benson arizona and the first lot of about 10 radios uh had uh, had a what they called a gold face if you got one of those they're worth a small fortune but then there was a series that he built the second second and third series that he built there 
And uh, matter of fact, you can kind of tell that the, that one has a silk screening that's that's not exactly in register. It's a little bit off. And then, then later he solved that problem by just taking a blank meter face and putting it over the dial window. But that one is made in Benson, which makes it pretty valuable in comparison to the stuff that's made in Oceanside because it's a it's an earlier vintage and it it works and it works well. Well, this gets us, Pete, to something else that you raised I saw on your blog, and that is um, the boat boat anchor conundrum or the boat anchor dilemma. And I know what you're talking about. It's uh, whether to to keep them get rid of them, get more, stop buying them, stop working on them. They take up a lot of space. And yeah. uh, man, I, I, we all, we all, those of us who've been into the, in the boat anchor game face this, this problem, but I just can't get myself to get, to get rid of any of these ones that I really, that I like. So I think I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to acquire any more, but I'm going to keep the ones I have because even though I look at them now and think, man, I'm never going to work on that DX60 again. I might, you know, I might change my mind in a couple of years. I might suddenly get a, a hankering for, for DX60, you know, control carrier modulation or something like that. So I think I'm going to stick with, keep, keep it all here, but you definitely have to sort of think about <laughs> storage capability when you start adding to the herd. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the other thing is when you start, you know, pawing your way through eBay, you see things at times that uh, you say, oh, man, look, uh, that, like I bought an, an NCX3 and, and the power supply for $69. I mean, you know, $69 is still $69, but you, you sort of say, wow, that, that was kind of a bargain. Now, just yesterday, Bill, just to, to show you where this goes, uh, a friend of mine who's a silent key, uh, when he retired, he went and got a ham license because he had a sailboat. And he and his wife literally sailed around the world in the sailboat. And he got a ham license, and that was his main means of communication. And And the rig he had was a ICOM IC735. And uh, once he sold the sailboat, he was no longer interested in getting on the air. We, he, ham radio was just a, a safety net for him. So um, he, he said, how would you like this thing? So I said, sure. And uh, it was on a sailboat. And, he, of course, you got salt water. And, yeah. and the case... The case got rusted. So, I mean, the radio works really well, but the case <laughs> looks terrible. So, I'm, I'm touring through eBay yesterday, and there's a guy that has a brand new case, never used, $39. So, I said, okay, okay, <laughs> I'm going to spend the money because the radio is really nice. And if I'd ever want to sell it or something, well, what it would be to the detriment is the really awful looking case. So now with 39 bucks, I can, if I ever want to, I could sell this thing. And people say, oh, yeah, cosmetically, it looks pretty good because cosmetics tends to be a, an important factor over functionality. You know, oh, yeah, it looks good, so it must work good. That's not necessarily the case. No, no, we, I think we're, 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 more, we're, we're into the give ugly a chance thing. Yeah. Well, anyway, that so I, is that another project for you? And are you gonna you gonna oh, pitch yeah, up the case? That's a that, that's a that's a like a a fifteen minute project. You know, unscrew the old case, put the new one on. However, the case that is on there, um, what I may do is I may get someone to sandblast it for me, and I may <laughs> take the case and stuff the ratting in that case. <laughs> 
you're a real iconoclast here, Pete, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, but this gets to, you know, this gets to kind of another kind of cultural, I guess, generational divide. But when when, when I listen to some of the the vintage sideband nets, you know, it kind of cracks me up sometimes when the guy says, yeah, I pulled out the vintage gear this morning and I'm running uh, Yesu FT-101. Look, I know it's old and all that, but as soon as they say Yesu or Icom or Kenwood, I sort of kind of shut down and, and say, oh, well, that's not really a vintage rig. That's not what we're really talking about. You know, we're talking about sort of old American-made, you know, Heath kits, Hammerlands, Howitcrafters. SBE. Hey. SBE. I got, I got two of them sitting here looking at me that you sent to me. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Those are the, that's the old stuff. And uh, so, again, I mean, to each his own. But that's, that's sort of what happens when I hear mention of the... Uh, uh, the uh, the offshore manufacturers, but uh, anyway, uh, hey, listen. Speaking of uh, uh, of old uh, American kind of manufactured stuff, it doesn't really fit in the boat anchor category. What what what's this this blasphemy that you've been doing to the Tentec Argonaut? Well, that was the uh, model five forty. Well, that was another one of those deals, seventy five bucks, and 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 you know, about seven years ago. I took another Model 540, and it had a broken dial cord, and it was all beat up, and I put a digital display in it. So I said, okay, <laughs> only this time, um, what you can know, AADE made a really, a whole, had a whole series of digital displays that had a custom chip in it, depending upon the radio. And uh, uh, since that, that guy is now a silent key, you can't get those kits anymore. So I spotted one of these Sanjian six-digit counters for for about nine bucks. Right. Now there there was a uh, a bit of trickery here, uh, Bill, and I'll I'll take a second. Uh, they have you can put an offset in there, and you can make the offset plus or minus. Yep. There's a little there's a bunch of there's a little two little switches, uh, momentary push buttons that let you let you do that. Uh, the AADE had a uh, had a different functionality that that had a pin that you could uh, find the pin and just either you grounded or ungrounded the pin and it added or subtracted the offset. Um, you, I have not been able to find a pin or I have not been able to find any documentation. It's the, this it's done with the switches. So um, what I really wanted to do is really easy to pick off the frequency and, a, and you could take a switch. Uh, I, I, that's what I did in the earlier conversion. There's a little wafer in the switch you can ground, and and that's how I did the AADE so that it would follow. But uh, try as I might, I haven't come up with it. I haven't given up totally on it. But uh, so what I did instead is put the offset of the VFO itself so that it reads the three digits. So like if you're operating in 5.0, uh, you subtract out five and you get 000. If you're on 5.2, you subtract out 5, and it says 2. So you know uh, whatever band it is, like it's 7.2 or 14.2 or what have you. So, um, but I, but I had it was more of a mechanical problem how to mount that display in that little window, and so I had to use my CNC mill and my uh, manual mill to cut out a slot, and so it, it ended up being looking pretty cool. It looks pretty cool, but I must say, you know. Um I have replaced the dial string in my Drake 2B receiver so many times that I've actually become good at it. 
so that you know the first time you look at it you think oh my god this is this is a real electromechanical nightmare the string the thing has to loop around it has to be precisely the right length it has to hook up to a spring that has to go on to this point on the dot but then after a while you get you get you get good at it and i you know i i saw you get just skip right all over that stuff and go straight to sanjian <laughs> yeah <laughs> Got it. <laughs> it was, you know, but it's it was a very Pete Giuliano uh, kind of approach to the problem. I mean, it's it's got a certain kind of beauty in it, but it's got this kind of in-your-face kind of iconoclastic. <laughs> I don't need your silly dial string. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, if if you tell most of the kind of the the the, the newcomers that your your receiver has a string in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's kind of it is kind of shocking, but there, there we are. All right. So, listen. The other thing I had here, uh, you had some uh, ugly encounters with uh, a oh. curmudgeon. Oh, when you went to five hundred milliwatts sideband. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah t- tell us about this. Well, you know, following your your lead there with um, your, is it the ET two? ET2, ET2, we'll ET2, talk ET2, about that in yeah. Yeah. ET2, I said, okay, he's he's making contact with really low power. What can I do with a half a watt on sideband? So I pulled out the IRF-10 uh, off of one of the rigs, and I put it on the air. And uh, the station was pretty pretty strong. I found out he's up in Oregon, and uh, I gave him a call. And so he recognized my call, and he said, hey, you're pretty weak here. I said, well, I said, uh, thank you for the report. I said, I'm only running 500 milliwatts. And uh, he comes back. He says, get that thing off the air. Get some real power. He says, you're, he says, you're making me turn up the volume, and it's causing a lot of noise in my shack. I'm done with you. <laughs> well, yes, uh, the, uh, the the ham spirit, uh, <laughs> not exactly uh, what uh, the old man would uh, would, would approve of. Yeah, you, you do get that. You get these guys, and they'll say, "Aha, life's too short for QRP." Ah, ha, ha. You know, and it's like uh, these are the. I mean, the credit card warriors well, whose big accomplishment was sending you, I, a credit I got, card number. I got the guy's call written down, and he's always on the band. Uh huh. So what I'm looking are you to sending do, somebody to his house? No, no. Okay, even good. better. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm going to put my SDR on. I'm going to say, "Hey, you know." I'm looking at your spectrum here. I'm, I'm <laughs> I see some energy. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> no matter what it looks like, just yeah, tell them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, man, you better check that uh, that high power rig. You, I don't know. It, you, you know, what you could do is even better. You could study up a little bit on the, the menus and whatever monstrosity that he's running and then just say, well, listen, old man, you, you really have to go to submenu 36D and change it from 16 to 27, and that'll take care of yeah, the problem. Okay, well, okay. well, there's the other side of it. The uh, Quist software lets you record it uh-huh. in the software. So I'm thinking of recording him as well. So wait a minute. I'm going to play it back to you. Now listen real carefully and see if you don't hear that. Hear some of that energy. <laughs> you can insert some energy. <laughs> Oh man, the possibilities you know, are endless. When you when you when you screw with an Italian, we don't get mad. We get you know, even. Like, obviously, <laughs> you you don't need any instruction on this. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, 
but listen, here's the other the other project that I really like. This we got it. This brought us back into contact with uh, an old somebody we've been re- admiring. I think uh, his work for from afar for a long time. ZL2 BMI Eric Sears down there in, yeah. in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, he was on with Eric for Z1UG on the on the on his program a, a couple of weeks ago. But and I, I received an email from him, and I know you have taken up his ZL2 BMI challenge. Tell us about this. Well, um, he he has an amazing. Uh, rig in the current GQRP Sprat, and and if you don't subscribe to Sprat, boy, you're missing out. Let me, let me you're wrong. You, you're wrong. Got, sign up. He's got this. Uh, he's he's been making these uh, what he calls tramping rigs. He likes to go out and out back and just uh, uh, kind of walk out in the bush. And he brings a ready with him, and he's made a whole series of double sideband rigs. And I think he's made. Um, several uh, single sideband rings but this one he happened to document and i looked at it and it was pretty impressive it, it was very nicely done and it was pretty small so i i sent him um uh an email and i said hey you know i really liked your articles matter of fact his 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 current rig uses two ne602s and he did the same thing that i did on the sudden that he switches the uh the the LO and the BFO, the, what depending upon you use the double pole double relay same same way I did it. So anyway, I said, hey, this is really cool. I, I know how well that works because it's not unlike the sudden. And I said, uh, congratulations. And so I said, uh, let me share something with you. I said about seven years ago, I built a shirt pocket transceiver, and I said, I sent him a copy of the article, and and that's the one that's sixteen cubic inches. So he comes back and says, well, mine's smaller than 16 cubic inches. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but he was on the metric system, Pete. No, no. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, I did the conversion. <laughs> so I said, okay, all right, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with something some smaller. So I'm working on building a rig smaller than his. All right. And, and this has caused you to do something that I know that you find personally painful, that you've been trying to get away from for many years. That is the design of crystal filters using individual yes. crystals made of quartz. Yes. This is, you're so far from SDR. Yes. And your, and your friend Youngblood there and, and his magical software stuff. You're, you're, you're going back, Pete. You're, you're sliding back into the 1950s isn't it great well uh, there there's a little uh there's a little side story to this i actually used the uh, 4.9152 that's that's the crystal frequency and i had pulled out a 4.9152 and put a put a commercial nine megahertz uh, filter in a, in a radio here uh, i don't know four or five years ago so i kept the crystals so all i did is just put them back in the circuit so i didn't it's it's like I did this a long time ago, and I just happened to have it in a bag sitting in the shelf. So I didn't start from scratch, but but something I had already done and sweated over a long time ago. And I just just affirmed that's where the Antoino certainly comes in nice. You saw the the plots of the curve. Oh, I, I did I did a, an excellent use of the Antoino. Very nice. Yeah, <laughs> I was kind of surprised to see how good the curve looked. I mean, it, it looked like textbook. Yeah, very good. 
I, I, and the Antuino, I'm, I'm, I've become, when, when Farhan was here, we sat down and we talked about it quite a bit. And I realized I still have to do the mod because I, I got one of the original versions from Four yeah. Days in May. And uh, this was before he did some modifications to work on the dynamic range. So I'm going to go ahead and do the mods that he, that he recommends. And one of the things I'm going to do is that, that he, it, all the parts there, of course, are surface mount. But in his guidance on how to do the mods, he talks about how you could use uh, leaded, regular old, uh, with wires sticking out of them components, including the two N3904s. Mm-hmm. So I might just, just to be ornery and old-fashioned, might go ahead and not use the surface mount components and just squeeze some old-fashioned with wires, two N thirty nine oh fours in there, but that'll be fine. But I'm really glad you were back with the crystal filters, Pete. It was uh, it was good, and it was kind of an interesting kind of combination of technology for you to test it with the Antuino. Very very nice. Now, now you've been going back in time also, and I, I feel responsible for this too, with your left coast loafer CW rig. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last time. I think I put a picture of it up. But how's that going? Have you been making any CW contacts? No, because I cannibalized all <laughs> this stuff. It's already gone. <laughs> already gone. Yeah. Well, that that, that didn't last long. <laughs> well, what the thing is, uh, for for the ZL2 BMI challenge, I I pulled the uh, I pulled the Arduino out of there, and the SI5351, and then I've got a half OLED display, half inch. OLED display that's going to be in there because I had to get something small and that was that was pretty small. So when, once that went, everything went, you know. So it's it's on a breadboard, but it's not all there. All right. <laughs> well, it looked really cool, which I guess the, I guess this brings us back to to CW and uh, and my adventures with the the ET two. We'll talk about that in sure. a second. But first, you're forgetting to remind me of something. Shameless Commerce Division. It's a Shameless Commerce Division, uh, folks. Uh, Christmas is approaching, and it's time to put some uh, some some cash in the cup here. You know what I'm saying? So uh, go when you when you're doing your shopping at Amazon, please just start at the Solder Smoke uh, webpage in the upper right hand corner at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. You'll see an Amazon shopping page. Just begin your search there, and cha-ching, uh, Amazon Bezos and Company will send us some money based on what you buy, and feel free to buy. Very expensive stuff because we get, you know, about five percent from all purchases. Doesn't come out of you, doesn't come out of anybody, doesn't come out of ham radio. It all comes out of the pockets of Bezos and the Amazon folks. So go ahead and do it, and uh, that that'd be great. The other thing I wanted to remind people of is that we ha- we still have uh, a cafe press store fe- featuring some really tasteful solder smoke uh, memorabilia and sportswear, yeah. coffee mugs. Bumper stickers, you know, ball, uh, caps. If you, if, ball caps. Yeah, if T-shirts. you want to, this is an opportunity to depoliticize your life. Yeah. Your bumper sticker could refer to your your love of homebrew radio. Your your ball cap can can extol the virtues of, of solder smoke, and you could have T-shirts with the with the solder smoke uh, symbol on it. Great, great stuff. So just on the on the left hand side of the soldersmoke.blogspot.com uh, or blog page. You will see the uh, the mug. Click on the mug. It'll take you to the store. Well, that concludes Solder Smoke's Shameless Commerce Division for the week. Thank you, Pete, I for should, bringing that one up. I should get some crap bumper stickers. <laughs> That's right. All, <laughs> my home brew radios are crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll get people's heads yeah, <laughs> scratching. Yeah. 
Hey, the ET2. This I, I, I talked about this last time, and I guess this is a kind of an indication that I really haven't done a whole lot of radio stuff in the last couple of months. But uh, the ET2 has been a lot of fun. This is a project that I first took up a long time ago, and it was based on a uh, an article in the uh, in Sprat by a, a fellow named Glenn Young uh, Glenn Yingling W two U W. Anyway, uh, hold on a second. Let me just take care of the dog here. Hold on. All right. I think he's in. Good. Anyway, um, it was the it was called his, his rig was called ET one, and the basic thing was a rig designed with just one transistor. He used an MPF one hundred two, and then he switched the MPF one hundred two all three terminals to the to the left for transmit to the right for or to the right for transmit to the left for receive, and uh, he had a, a, a very simple regen receiver. It was run out on 40 meters, and he had a crystal control transmitter, um, and then he used it. This was around 2000, 2001, and he, he had amazing results. He worked, worked like 23 states. He worked some DX. Every time he got on the air, he worked for some, worked something, and I tried to build this. I built it about, I guess, about eight or nine years ago and never really got it to work. So for some strange reason, I decided to go at it again. I pulled the thing off the shelf. I worked on it a little bit. Getting the transmitter working, that was easy. Getting the receiver working, not so easy. I had a tough time with, with his circuit. So I, I, I went out onto the web and I found one that I really liked. It's called the N0WVA, WVA, November Zero Whiskey Victor Alpha. His name's Doug. And he has a really nice uh, receiver there. I threw it together. I built it. I talked about this in the last uh, podcast. Um, I'll just make a couple points. I, I ended up, I tried to do it with one single FET, but I really couldn't get it, the receiver to work right. When I built the receiver separately, it really was superb. It was great. It was stable. It was like it, was like it wasn't even a regen. <laughs> it was really nice. But when I tried to switch the FET, just, I guess the lead lengths, the wires going to the switch that I was using, kind of messed it up. So I wimped out a bit, and mine is the ET2 because it uses two FETs, one permanently wired into the receive circuit, one permanently wired into the transmit circuit. So I don't bother with the switching. In a certain sense, it's the same thing. It's a one transistor rig. You're using one transistor on receive, one transistor on receive. It's just that they're not the same transistor, hence the ET2. I got away from the MPF-102 because, as we've been told over the years, by by a number of uh, kind of very wise people, the uh, the MPF 102 has widely varying characteristics and pinch off voltage and others other characteristics from transistor to transistor, so it makes it hard to use that in a circuit like this with make, and make it reliably reproducible. So I went with J310s, and I know you're a big fan of J310s, Pete. Yes. Yeah, more consistent performance. So I used two of them. I found that I can get around 100 milliwatts out of a single J310, which seems amazing, but I can. And the receiver, it works okay. I mean, when you first use it, you're like, wow, this is great. I can hear CW signals really terrific. When Farhan was here, I was, t I was telling him about my efforts to test for a minimum discernible signal 
in my various receivers. I've talked about this here before. And, you know, I just, I don't have any of the, I'm not really making an effort to precisely measure the audio output. I just put on the headphones and crank down the HP signal generator until I can't hear it anymore. And for me, I score that as minimal discernible signal. Most of the receivers around here can hear using this system down to about 125, 130 dB negative, neg- negative 125, negative 130 dBm, which is pretty good. I And Farhan said to me, oh, well, did you test the ET2? And I had not. So I did. I tested it. And it's it's not great. It's uh, First, it's brought as a barn door, of course. Um, but it only tested, I can. it only goes down to about negative 103 dBm. But I can hear the band noise on 40, so I guess it's it's sensitive enough. I'm using an old pair of UK uh, World War II headphones, which, by the way, I had to repair. The, the headband that holds the two things together kind of fell apart, and I had to actually carry out a repair. It was kind of, it was kind of fun. But, man, Pete, I have been having a great time with this thing. It's kind of, uh, at times, it, it seems masochistic, but... I've made 10 contacts with this thing. I made three contacts with this thing yesterday, uh, which was pretty amazing. I, I, I've become much more attuned to uh, propaga- propagation conditions on 40 meters. And we are pretty much at the rock bottom of the sunspot cycle. And 40, which is no, notorious for being the one really reliable band, is is kind of fickle. There are times of day where... You've got a chance of making a contact on 40 meters. Otherwise, forget it. Early in the morning, uh, not too early, but like 9.30 in the morning seems to be okay, local time. And then midday, the band, the absorption gets high and the band becomes pretty useless. Then I've found really the optimal time to be around 4.30, 5.30 in the afternoon local time. Then the band starts to pick up. Uh, absorption seems to drop off a bit. But the, these are this is where I've made most of my contacts. I've been let me let me just point out I've been cheating a bit because uh, I I put out kind of pleas for help on the um, the the DX spotting neck spotting clusters I use the uh, DX summit cluster and then I also go to the Straight Key Century Club SKCC they have a page called the Sked page or it's kind of a chat group and there's a lot of guys who have this thing on as their operating their rigs. So I'll put out a quick message saying N2CQR transmitting calling CQ 7038.6 kilohertz. Please listen and call. And then I'll put out these two messages. I'll sometimes put, put a message up on the solder smoke blog and then I will go on and call CQ. Now this has helped. So I, I think of the 10 contacts that I've made, uh, nine of them have been the result of these pleas for assistance. One of them, however, was actually a random contact. And that was that was really cool. He just heard me calling CQ, and then and then and called me. So at least one random contact. Two of the contacts have been with kind of a, a QRP hero of mine, W1PID Jim, up there in New Hampshire. Jim is is another fellow who's really into uh, hiking with the with with the rigs, and he has a, an amazing, amazingly beautiful webpage describing his his trail adventures. Is that is that um, a buddy of Mike Reaney? He, he is. He is. And he's a, right. a collaborator in many of Mike's uh, uh, projects. And he's been with um, with our old friend Rex of uh, uh, Main QRP, Me QRP, 
uh, of fame, and and he was. I, I think uh, I think Jim has been on some of the expeditions that have been organized. He was involved in in Mike Rainey's attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean with a voice powered CW transmitter. You remember that? Right, this was right. uh, uh, amazing stuff. He's been on the other end of many of Mike Rainey's most uh, most daring, most QRPP um, you know, adventures. So that was great. But you know, I, I, again, it's it's not just time of day. But I'm also be, I've also become very conscious of the the effect of uh, solar flux. So I was watching over the last couple of days, and I saw on G Zero XPD's site note that um, uh, the solar flux had peaked, had jumped up a bit. It had been at solar flux index has been down sixty four for a long time, and then all of a sudden the last couple of days it jumped up to seventy one. So I said, aha. And yesterday I got on 40 meters and I put out a couple of pleas for help. And man, three contacts in a row. Really, really amazing stuff. So that, that, was, that was really cool. I, uh, I, 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 I counted up. I'm already at nine states. Wow. I know. I don't think I'm going to go for, for worked all states. But, you know, even with bad conditions, even running. I, yesterday I made the three contacts. I measured carefully. I was at 92 milliwatts out. And one of the contacts was Wisconsin, which is 633 miles from here. So cool. uh, 633 miles with 92 milliwatts from a single J310, both on transmit and receive. Uh, it, it, it's 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 fun. That's it's six thousand miles per watt. I know it's pretty it's pretty good. You know. Yeah. So I've I've been having a lot of a lot of fun with it. it. It's it's almost kind of a way to kind of thumb your nose at the low sunspot numbers, and I was it was reminded of a of a poem that I I think I read I hadn't written since college, but it's uh, Dylan Thomas rage rage against the dying of the light. It's sort of like rage rage against the decline in the sunspot number. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, and I, I it made me realize that. You know, no, not, not taking any anything away from Glenn Yingling, but it was probably a lot easier to do this back in uh, in two thousand one when uh, we were closer to the um, to the sunspot peak. But uh, great fun, not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's it's not easy. It's not kind of easy operating. It's not the kind of thing that you'd want to do every day. And I, I do realize that I'm going to reach the point where I've got, got, got tired of this kind of uncomfortable hard to make contact thing so i think at that point i might i might just take this rig it's on a wooden base and i might bolt it to the wall and make it like a display oh yeah there you go art <laughs> there you go radio art. yeah yeah art but hey pete this has given me an idea you know like like that old bill murray move, movie with uh, henry winkler um I'm an idea guy. These ideas keep coming at me. I'm going to get the clip for that. But the idea was this. My um, transmitter here is similar, actually simpler than the the Michigan Mighty Might that we were touting so forcefully a few years back. So I realized guys, guys out there have Michigan Mighty Mights. Yeah. And there's no reason why you couldn't take your Michigan Mighty Might, uh, hook it up to an 80-meter antenna, and then watch for your own signal there on the reverse beacon network on RBN. Yeah. Because that's the way I do it. The reverse beacon network is a tremendous resource. When you, when you first get on the air with one of these really low power rigs, you're kind of wondering, am I getting out at all? And when you can see your spot showing up on the reverse beacon network, um, reverse beacon network has these spotter stations that just look for 
CW stations calling CQ, and then they post on the web a, a report on your your with your call sign and how strong you were relative to the noise at the receiving station. It's, it's amazingly useful. But I was thinking some of these guys could take those Michigan Mighty Mites, call CQ on thirty five seventy nine, and see if any of the reverse beacon network stations are are hearing them. I know some of you people will do that. <laughs> yeah. Send us reports. Tell us how it worked out for you. Did you get any RBN spots? This is an opportunity to take those rigs that we never thought would go on the air and actually put them on the air. What do you think, Pete? I, I think it's a good idea, but, but, but please, please put a low-pass filter on that Michigan Mighty Might. Bill's making contacts at 600 miles with less than 100 milliwatts. Good point. Put, put the low-pass filter on there. But I thought there was going to be another objection, and there is another objection. That is, you really shouldn't be calling CQ unless you have a receiver yeah. ready to hear the guy come back. Yeah, you're liable to make a contact. <laughs> you're, you could make a contact. Yeah. And I know a lot of the guys who built the Michigan Mighty Mites don't really have a receiver. A lot of them were doing it as the first project. But here's something else that I thought about. You know, we, we've been talking about Lou, Echo Alpha 3, Japan Echo. Yeah, EA3JE. Oh, the SDRs. Right. That's the idea that you could you could get on the web. There's There are many, maybe, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds of receivers that guys have put on the web all the time that you can control from where you are. So the idea is, and I guess this would be the second phase of the operation, first to see if you get any spots on the RBN network. But then the second thing would be, have one of these web receivers that's appropriately placed geographically tuned to 3579. You should be able to see your own signal in the, in the waterfall from one of these things. And then you should be able to see if anybody comes back to you. Aha. Or, and there's another piece to that. If you're looking at the web SDR and you see no signals at 3579, it also tells you something about band conditions. Right. You know, so, so, so pull it may around not with be the, It may be that you're not being picked up because it's a crappy band condition. That, that was the point. I mean, don't, don't lose heart. You see, a lot of signal, right. you see a lot of signals there. You say that's a good time to do it. Yeah, like you could look and you could see on the reverse beacon network, if you see that your signal is making it into New England, mm -hmm. right, from the reverse beacon network, then try to pick a web SDR in New England. Yes. Because you know that at that time of day, with your antenna configured, you're putting a signal into New England. Correct. I know that my, my doublet antenna does quite well into New England. So uh, there are possibilities here. Dust off those Michigan Mighty Mites, my friends. It's time to, uh, to rage, rage against the dying of the light. <laughs> that, that should be the answer for Micah. Well, yeah. that, that'll get us to the mailbag. Yeah, we'll yeah. get to the mailbag in a second. We've got to talk about him. But I, I kind of like that project. Hey, Pete, before we get to the mailbag, one thing, I, I, you know, we, we have, we've, we've talked quite a bit on the podcast over the years about sort of useful stuff to have around the shack. You know, Gorilla Tape, yeah. Yeah. Desitin for a heat sink compound, um, all kinds of other stuff. Farhan mentioned some, some other thing that they were using in India as a kind of a kind of a, a kind of a homebrew heat sink compound i forget what it is but he'll tell me and I'll, I'll put it up on the on the blog but i discovered something 
copper tape with conductive adhesive. Yes. Have you ever used this stuff? You sent me a bunch. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. It's it's. I didn't realize that the, the, that the adhesive on the back of this stuff was conductive. I just thought it was like glue and that you'd have to kind of solder across when you put two of these pieces together. But before I had a chance to solder, I realized it was conducting and it's conductive. The, 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 yeah. the, 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 the adhesive is conductive. So you'll see in my pictures of the ET2 and I have pictures of the ET2 up on the, um, on the, uh, on the blog that I, I joined together the, the various uh, boards. There's a one board for the receivers, one board for the transmitter. And on the wood, I just lay down kind of a base of this, uh, this tape and then boom, the, uh, the, the, the tape itself joins these different uh, boards together. So uh, I, I find it really, really useful. It's easy to solder, solder to, and you can get it on Amazon. So this is another thing to put on your shelf and and keep around the shack it's just really amazingly useful stuff bill you need to put another plug in for the shameless commerce division we need to share with everybody they need to put a list together of what what they want people to buy them and i mean you put a lamborghini in there your xyl is not going to buy it but if you put a roll of conductive tape (laughs) with with, with the number (laughs) that that could that that could make it right into your stocking it's a perfect stocking stocking stuffers yeah yes and a solder smoke mug and a bumper sticker yeah yeah bob's your uncle there you go hey pete this brings us to uh to to the mailbag yeah bonk yeah there we go this is solder smoke mailbag um bong bong um first we go um from Andreas, DL1AJG. We're always good to hear from Andreas. And he built a regen, and he sent us a picture of regens. Regens seem to be uh, in, in fashion now. But we really liked what Andreas did, and uh, and he is enthusiastic about home brewing. It's really cool to have him in the group, too, because he's a very serious scientist in Germany, uh, a biologist, I think. And uh, it, 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 it's good to have him involved in the home brew game. But uh, he saw he sought some advice on different projects. I think I hope we pointed him in the right direction, Pete. Yeah. Uh, although I, I guess through my mind, and this, this has nothing to do with Arduinos and SI fifty three fifty ones. But I guess when I look at the subject of a regen, I'd say, why don't you build a DCR or superhead? I mean, for all the fiddling you're going to do, you probably get better performance out of a DCR. You don't even need a crystal filter. So yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I know, but you know, this gets to something I wanted to mention. That is the the philosophy behind CW rigs for me. I mean, I'm not really a big CW fan. Uh, Farhan were ta- when I were talking about this, and I said, "Look, you know, it seems like CW is almost an accidental skill." When Morse invented it, he never imagined that people would memorize the code and have it in their heads. He thought there would be a paper tape that you would later on decode. You know, so uh, you know, as much as I, I you know cut my teeth on CW, I used it a lot. You know, when I see some of these really sophisticated rigs using, you know, millions of transistors, I think, wow, that's a waste of technology because all they're doing is turning the thing on and off. Yeah. That's why the ET2 for me is sort of an appropriate use of CW because with this minimal amount of transistors, you'd, you'll, uh, you will you know, about the only thing you could do would be CW. So uh, that's what I was thinking. Even a DCR, you get into more transistors, right? Because you got to have the oscillator. And if you use one of your SI5351, the transistor count goes into the thousands, right? At well, least. I'm thinking you take three, J te- three J310s 
and you could have essentially uh, two of them configured like a dual gate MOSFET, and the third one is your VFO. So you yeah, got a yeah. DCR with with three, and you, you know you can two N thirty nine oh four thirty nine oh six discrete audio amplifiers. So you got five transistors, but a uh, probably you know more sensitive and uh, maybe a little more stable and less. Oh, a lot more, a lot yeah, more stable. Yeah, if you yeah. if you get if you get your hand close to my uh, ET two yeah. trans uh, receiver, receiver it, it drifts like crazy. So so th- uh, three J three tens, two and thirty nine oh four, two and thirty nine oh six, and you got a pretty pretty sophisticated SD. Uh, uh, you know, DCR. Direct conversion receiver. Yeah, DCR. Yeah, well, well, I mean, that's that's the Herring 85. The, yeah. the Herring 85 had five transistors in it. And so I've got a lot of stuff on the blog about that. And then I made this ceramic uh, resonator yeah. um, rig that, that, that's up on the up on the Solder Smoke YouTube channel too. But anyway, yeah, build receivers, guys. And this brings us to another receiver project, Mike, uh, uh, Pete. We got a we got an email from Mike KC six SAX. Wow! And he he sent us this this uh, regen receiver that he wants to work on using ceramic resonators. Did you see this? Yes. It scared me. I've, I felt almost traumatized by the thing. It just it looked it looked really it's it's challenging and complicated. Yeah. Uh, what were your re- what was your reaction? Well, I sent him an email back and I said, you know, hey, you. Well, first off, he's got all the parts, so this is not the time to tell you don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's bought all the parts. They're in the they're in the mail. Uh, but I said, gee, for the amount of the complexity of that circuit, you could build a DCR or could build a, a superhead, and probably have something that's not as you're going to have to fiddle with that as what I saw. I mean, it had a had a GIF socket. Uh, on the front panel that you put all these resonators in, and that's how you, you set it. And I'm saying, man, that you know, zero insert that that zero insertion four socket's got to cost a little money because I bought some of those. Uh, but hey, that's what experimentation's all about. So so have at it. So let us know, Mike. Let us know how it works out. But it did scare me because regens. You know, I, I've had a. A, a troubled history with regions. Traumatized. I, I am. Yeah, yeah. I, they're 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 possessed. Except for except for the one by N zero WVA. That's okay. Yeah. Um, we got a we got a nice email from Jim W nine VNE. He talked a story about his coax arcing dur- of, on the quad antenna during a snowstorm, and then he grabbed the coax. Bad move. Shock. Shock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Jim. Hey, uh, speaking of the ET two, our friend down in Orlando, Walter. KA4KXX. He wants me to try to get on. They have an early morning, uh, uh, they call it the sunrise net on CW, higher up in the band, in the, I guess in the old novice band, 7123. Uh, and uh, they have their own their own net there. They get, these guys get together in Florida. Florida would be real DX for me with the ET2. And sunrise, it, it, uh, it might not happen, but I will give it a try, Walter. I have your your crystals here and i'll try to get them going before i turn my et2 into a uh <laughs> work of performance art <laughs> um uh anyway uh I'll, I'll give it a try and thank you for sending me the the crystals hey we got an email from from the the creator of this this receiver doug n0wva he's the designer of the et2 oh, yeah. and the innovation he came up with was the um the green led in the source circuit of the uh, of the of the of the regenerative detector and i think this is his innovation i mean i think he's the one who came up with this idea and it's brilliant because 
it, no pun intended, because it, it gives you kind of a, a luminous display, lets you know when you're at the critical point for regeneration, but it also eliminates the squealing. It, it doesn't, yes. the, the, this thing doesn't squeal at audio frequencies. And so good, 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 Doug. Doug sent also some ideas for improving on his design. I have not tried these ideas yet because I fear messing up a regen that is working properly. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, huh? <laughs> it's like let the sleeping dog lie, yeah. man. <laughs> but but I will eventually. I think I will try some of your ideas. We I mentioned Eric Sears. He sent a very nice note. Uh, he was like I said. I mentioned he was, he was also on with Eric uh, 4Z1UG. It was really great to hear from Eric. And then you mentioned Mika, HA6BD, uh, a new ham, a new constructor. He's already being pulled into the waterfall, Pete. Yes. I turned him over to you. I said, you're asking about waterfalls? That's Pete's department. What'd you tell him? Well, um, there's another piece to this. He has a microbitics. And so he he wanted to employ that uh, because it has the Nextian display. Uh, and I told him to contact... He said, I have a Jack AL display. How do I do that? And I said, well, you need to talk to the Jack part of the Jack L. And I suggested he contact uh, Jack Purdom, W-A-T-E-E. I said, uh, if anyone would know how to do that, he'd be the guy. And and I'm sure um, if he did talk to Jack, uh, Jack is pretty open and receptive to that stuff. And he, he might say, gee, there's other people who like to do that. He'd do the software. So, I mean, you may not have it instantly, but that would be the best place to start. And then I told, right. him, I told him he could do some other things. Uh, I said, and, and one of them, of course, we go, go on the, on the uh, SDR radios and just tune in your frequency and watch it. You know, he said, I'd like to see all the signals pop up. I said, well, get your computer. <laughs> you, can even yeah. do that with a, you can even do that with a Raspberry Pi and a... You know, you don't need a big old computer to do the Raspberry Pi connected to a monitor, and you're there. All right. I knew I was sending them in the right direction. Pete, we have we have spent a full hour here yeah. rambling on about the radios. I apologize to everybody for not for being so long. I hope we could do more of these now, Pete. Well, part of the problem, part of the problem, and I'm just... I'm treading on dangerous waters here. I I have this terrible pull. I've been spending a lot of time watching TV. So Stop there's it's not good for you. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. <laughs> this is Go back to the radios. Competition for my time. <laughs> watching we will, we will cable try, news. We'll try to pull you away. <laughs> yes, cable news. <laughs> it's not good for you. Hey, let's let's wrap this up. We're gonna. I'm gonna experiment with our new audio wizardry. Please, we ask everyone to please send us reports. Uh, Pete and I are trying to obtain a 27.6 dB improvement in presence and sparkle. Ooh. And brightness, I think, too. Yes. But mostly sparkle. Because these are the terms we hear thrown around in the audio world on uh, single sideband. Enhanced single sideband. Yes. So we're, we're trying to, to get with the program here. Let us know how it sounds to you guys. We'll, uh, we'll hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> we'll continue to try to improve. You We're bet. doing our best here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Pete Giuliano, 7-3s from Northern Virginia. Yes, yeah, 7-3s from the left coast, and uh, watch out for the fires. Ooh, that's awesome. The 
Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!